0: COVID free, by the way, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> that's right. Oh, it's bad, isn't it? But praise the Lord. Um, let me grab these notes out of here. A couple of things. Well, we're glad to be here, and it's really not that far, about three and a half hours from one another. So that's, that's pretty good. And I was able to come last year, I think about this time, somewhere about this time, y'all had the meeting. And on a Friday night and a Saturday, had a good time. And of course, your pastor, you got a good pastor here, known him for several years, and I know he's a man of God, and I've heard him preach, and he's a great preacher. And uh, anyway, the Lord's blessed you right there, that's for sure. And got a good church here, got a brand new building out there, that was neat. And hey, that's good, things are going good. In the midst of COVID, God's blessing you, so that's that's wonderful. I've been, I've been to the church I'm at for about 20 years. If I make it to March, if they don't fire me before March, I'll be there 20 years. And so anyway, I, y'all be in prayer about that. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we started a Bible institute 16 years ago. And we started that and we really, we just had a bunch of guys surrendering to preach in our church and we didn't want to send them off anywhere. Our church was growing, but it was small at the time and the guys that were swearing to preach man they were working they were teaching Sunday school running van routes all kinds of things and I thought why would we send them across the country we need them and so we started a school we felt like God was leading us to do so and we did and of course a lot of people laughed at us and different stuff and that's fine but 16 years later we're still going and so God's put his stamp of approval on it and it's been good and and brother Roger Randolph in the back he wrote up with me he was in our first graduating class and he was a young man back in those days. Anyway, he's, he's elderly now. but That's right. So anyway, but, but that's good. I was 30 years old when we started our school, and people, they laughed at that, of course. And really, that is kind of silly, but the Lord, he started his ministry when he was 30. But I knew God called me to do that, and so I want to do what the Lord wanted me to do. And so I've learned a lot during that time, and it's been good. And I've got several lessons, and so he said we're going to do two a night. And once a month, we'll skip December and start back in January, which that's great. But tonight we're going to talk about inspiration. And uh, not only inspiration, I want to, I've got another lesson after that, but I'll tell you about later. And then when I come back in January, my favorite lessons, we're going to talk about preservation and we're going to talk about the history of the King James Bible And the second lesson. That's my favorite lesson that I do. I teach this over two semesters in our Bible Institute, so there's a lot of material, and I'm going to try to condense that down to just 10 little lessons, and hopefully we can get something from it. And then we're going to talk about, in February, Lord willing, the so-called revisions. People talk about the Bible's been revised, the King James Bible, and it hasn't been. Anyway, we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to compare modern versions of the Bible to the King James Bible that night. And then the next time, I've got a worksheet, and it's on misconceptions about the, Bible, the King James Bible, but things people say about it that simply aren't true. And I've found that to be a good help to a lot of people. And then we're also going to compare Bibles again because I've got so much stuff on that. And then I want to do a lesson in the last time on problem text people that say there's errors in the Bible and, and show that there's not errors. There's no errors in God's Word. And so I'm thankful for that. And so I think those are things that will help us and, and it'll kind of help people defend what they believe. And I'm all about that. And so I want to defend what I believe. So go ahead and take your Bible, if you would, to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And this lesson's going to be, going to have quite a bit in it. And the second one, Won't have as much as this one, but anyway, it's going to have plenty. And so I might go 10 minutes longer on this one and 10 minutes shorter on the other one, if that's all right, whatever, you know, something like that, just to get it all in. We'll see what happens. But this study is a controversial study, and there's a lot of people that disagree on this subject. Now, me and your pastor, we agree 100%. He wouldn't be having me if he didn't agree with me on it. But we believe the same. And, and all these preachers he has in, they believe like I believe and like he believes. And I mean, that's, he wouldn't have them in if they didn't. <laughs> that's just the way that works. But we're Bible believers. And we believe the Bible is the Word of God. And we believe it's without error. Wow. Now, here's the thing. I deal with preachers and I train preachers. But there's so, many, um, there's so many people that are in churches today. And they're in these churches and they come in. And we have them all the time. I'll have somebody walk into our church and they'll have a new Bible under their arm. I mean, it's not a King James, it's a different version. People say, look, Brother Derek, somebody's got a different Bible. They say, what are we going to do? We're not going to do anything. They're not teaching a Sunday school class. They're not preaching. We don't know whether they're saved or lost. They could be saved. Our job is to worry about getting them saved. And If they are saved, the average person does not realize there's differences in the Bible. How could you get mad at somebody that simply does not know? And so there's so many people that simply do not know. They're not my enemy. They're not, and most of them have a good heart. And if you show them, they'll say, well, I didn't know it was. I can't believe that. And the next thing you know, after a little while at our church, I've never gotten on to anybody for carrying a different Bible. But it's not. if they keep coming, they're not coming very long. And they'll say, I got me a new Bible. And they'll show it to me. and It's a Bible just like we have. And so that's how that works. You've got to teach people. You can't just get out. Now these Bible colleges, I don't have much use for them. And so because these preachers that are trained, that are teaching preachers not to believe their Bible, that's who, I don't have a, that's who I've got a problem with. And so there's a difference there. But I don't have a problem with churches. And, but we're King James only. And when I say we're King James only, I believe there's not even an error in the King James Bible. I believe it's perfect is what I believe when I say that. And so anyway, it's controversial, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. The Bible says where the word of a king is, there's power. That's Ecclesiastes 8.4. Well, God gave us a Bible that was named after a king. king and it didn't start out being named after him. He just authorized it. It was the authorized version. But anyway, thank God it's after a king and, and God bless that. And so anyway, tonight for just a few minutes, I want to talk about do we have what God said? That's a good question, isn't it? Do we have what God said? Either we do or we don't. It's that simple. So let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us come together this evening, and thank you for Brother Martin and and his stand on the Bible and his preaching and his pastoring, and just bless him as he pastors this church and his family, and bless every family that makes up this church as well, and just watch over them. We pray you'd keep them safe and keep them out of harm's way. Bless the church and bless their finances, bless everything to do with it. And Lord, I just thank you for all that you do for us. We want to thank you for giving us the word of God. May you bless us now. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, do we have what God said? And the truth is, I believe we do. But in the Bible, if you start reading your Bible in Genesis 3, you'll find out the devil shows up. And the first thing he does is he starts questioning whether or not we have what God said. And so look in Genesis 3, 1. The Bible says, now the serpent. There's no doubt that's the devil. Everybody agree with that? Sure he is. He's called the serpent in Revelation chapter 12. He's called the serpent, the dragon, uh, the devil, Satan. All those names are given to him. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, I wonder how she saw it. He was probably eating it right there in front of her, said, It's not hurting me. And that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. Now notice five truths from Genesis 3. And number one is in verse 1 where it says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. Number one. Number one. The root source of questioning the word of God is satanic. It's satanic. You say, how do you know Well, he's the first person to ever do it. First time you ever read about the devils in Genesis 3. The only thing I know about him before that is in Isaiah 14. But... In chronological order, Genesis 3 in the Bible is the first time he shows up. First words you read that come out of his mouth, Yea, hath God said. He's questioning the word of God. I always say you're either a Bible believer or a Bible corrector. And the devil's a Bible corrector. And the devil wants people to correct the Bible. He doesn't want you to be able to trust this book right here. The second thing that we read here, is in verse 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, that's not exactly what was said. And so number 2, sin begins with subtracting and adding to the word of God. That's something we're not supposed to do. You don't subtract And add to, you don't say, well, I don't really like that verse. I think I'll take that one out. No, you leave it right where it's at. That's God's business. You don't change the Bible. It's not ours to be changing. It's God's word. You say, what are you saying? Well, for one thing, she said, neither shall you touch it. He didn't say that. I read that over in chapter number two, and he never said that at all. It's probably a good idea not to touch it, but he didn't say that. And then she said, lest ye die. But he said in chapter two, verse 17, thou shalt surely die. She took that word out. And I'm not saying that was the original sin, but that was leading up to it. And I realize she's not even the one that sinned. Adam did. She was tricked, the Bible says. But the truth is, the devil knew who to get after. And when he got after her, man, she started adding to, taking away. That's what happens. And that got everything started right there. And so sin begins with subtracting and adding to the word of God. We'll talk more about that in a minute. All right. Another thing, verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, ye shall not surely die well he knew what god had said didn't he he put the word back in but the truth is number three it's satanic to deny the word of god because god said once you eat of that you shall surely die and i know what people say they say well adam and Eve didn't die right there sure they did They died right on the spot. People say, no, I went over to Genesis 5, and it tells where they died, and Adam lived to be 900 and something years old, and all that And in Genesis 5, 5, when Adam finally died. But the truth is, he died physically in Genesis 5. He died spiritually in Genesis 3. That was the difference. And so he died on the inside, and that's why the process started on the outside. Had he never sinned, he would have never died. For the wages of sin is death. That's the reason we die. Death runs in my family, runs in your family too, <laughs> runs in everybody's family. Amen. I don't know. I mean, if, if you can't do much when you're dead, but vote. I mean, that's about all you got left. So Amen. it's satanic to deny God. Amen. All right. Notice verse five. Something else. For God doth know that then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as good. And so notice number four, it's Satan's desire to stop people from relying on the Word of God. He said, if you'll eat that, he said, your eyes will be open. You won't even need God anymore. does that sound like people today? You go to a university somewhere. I'm not against going to a university. I mean, go and whatever, but you better be grounded before you go. Because there's a bunch of crazies teaching in those places. That are atheists and everything else, you know. It's a cesspool for atheism and liberalism. And it's, it's bad. I mean, anyway, sometimes you've got to go and get a good job, though. I mean, it's part of it. So my wife teaches in the community college. I'm not completely against it, but, but you've got to be careful. But it's Satan's desire to stop people from relying on the Word of God. And then number five, I'm not going to read a verse, but I'll say this. Satan is the true source behind the Bible controversy. He's the true source that's behind it, Satan himself. He does not want you to know that we have a perfect Bible. He's against you knowing it. Now, the question tonight is, do we have what God said? So if you will, take your Bible to 2 Timothy. So we're turning like, well, I'm not preaching, I'm teaching. That's what we're doing. So 2 Timothy chapter 3. Usually when we preach, we find us a text and we throw a fit. You know? <laughs> and that's all right. I'm happy with that too. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And a great passage in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Do we have what God said? I had a preacher one time, we got talking about this, and he said, he said, I just don't believe we have God's word today. And I said, really? I said, where do you believe it's at? He said, well, I believe it's forever settled in heaven. I said, where'd you read that at? How would you know that unless you had a Bible? That's what Psalm 119 verse 89 says. Forever, O oh Lord, is thy word settled in heaven. He's quoting the Bible. He believes it's in heaven because of what this book says. But we don't have it. That makes no sense for somebody to say something like that. Okay. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture. What? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Okay. That's pretty plain. And it's profitable. I like getting a profit, don't you? It's profitable. God's word's profitable to me and you. For what? For doctrine. So I don't teach doctrine. Well, that's an oxymoron because doctrine means teaching. That's what it means. But if you're not teaching, the Bible says it's profitable for doctrine, then doctrine does you good. Brother James gets up and he teaches you doctrines in the Bible. That's a good thing. Everybody needs to get those things. We learn things. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now notice this, all Scripture. How much of the Scripture? All of it. All is all that all means, and that's all it means. All Scripture is given by, look at this, inspiration of God. That's what's important here. I've said this before. People ask me, they say, what are you? I say, well, I'm a Baptist. And they say, well, what kind of Baptist are you? I'm a Bible believing Baptist. And when I say I'm a Bible believing Baptist, that's the kind that I am. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and I believe it's the Word of God without error, and I believe I can hold it in my hand and I can produce it. I can show you a copy of it. I can show it, I've got it. I've got it right here tonight. And that's what I am. But all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It says in verse 15, in that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures. Now, what I'm trying to get at, if it's scripture, it's given by inspiration. And if it's given by inspiration, it's scripture. That's what it says. Now, here's a term: inspiration. People say, "Well, what in the world's that?" And um, some people think inspiration's what Willie Nelson has when he writes another song. That's called smoking dope. That's what that is. That's not inspiration, okay? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know. Maybe I'm out of line for saying that, but that's just what he is. <laughs> that's, that, yeah, okay. <laughs> but anyway, that's what he does. <laughs> or Kid Rock, or you can fill in the blank, any of them. <laughs> dope smokers. That's, what the, that's not inspiration. They call that inspiration. That's not inspiration. Inspiration, the term, is from a Greek word called theosneustis. And what it means is God breathed. That's what inspiration is, God breathed. I like that about it, God breathed. When God breathes on something, it becomes alive. Over there in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, you got to turn there, but in Genesis 2 and verse 7, that's where God made Adam, he formed man. And if you remember that verse, it says, and the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground. I mean, he reached down and got dirt. And he formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. When I read about that, I think about God taking some dirt and he got that dirt and I was just how. I don't know, I, didn't, I wasn't there, but I just believe it. And maybe it happened, maybe he just got man and just shaped him, and, and shaped him and sculpted him. And maybe he put his arms out and fingers and legs and toes and eyes and nose and just everything like he's supposed to be. But the truth is, Once he had him that way, he was nothing. And God took him, and the scripture says he breathed. Blew in there. But when he did, man's heart started beating. And his eyes opened up. And all of a sudden, he became alive. And the reason he became alive is because God breathed on him. And when God breathes on something, that's what happens. He makes dead things become alive. Hey, if you're saved, you ought to be able to relate to that a little bit. That's what God did to us. That's a good picture of what he did to us. And I'm thankful that I can be alive. They said one time that a a lady came to church and and she got talking, she was a Baptist church, and she said, she told her pastor, she said, um, she said, I went to Benny Hinn meeting over here. And she said, "Um, I just want you to know, he's got more power in his little finger than you got in your whole body. And he said, well, why would you say that? And she said, well, he breathed and 3,000 people fell down. He said, lady, that's not power. That's bad breath. That's what that is. That's exactly right, too. He couldn't cure them. But anyway, there's somebody. I mean, when the Lord, when the Lord spoke John, in the Gospel of John in the Garden of Gethsemane, they did fall down. But he really did have power. There's something different about him. He was totally different. But I'm thankful to know that, that God breathed. That's what inspiration. It means. it means God breathed on something, it means it becomes alive. That's what it's talking about. Another word that you might want to know is plenary. P-L-E-N-A-R-Y. And it simply means full and complete. Full and complete. You can go to Barnes and Noble bookstore or get on Amazon and shop and go under the Christian category, and you'll find this, and they'll say, lost books of the Bible. Uh-uh. God doesn't, He's never lost any books in the Bible. There's no such thing as lost books in the Bible. It's Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, and it's Matthew to Revelation in the New Testament, 66, not 67, not 70, not any other number. It's 66 books, and God didn't lose any of them. And we've got them today, plenary, full and complete. And then another term, verbal, V-E-R-B-A-L. It means word for word. What I'm saying is we as Bible believers, we believe in verbal, plenary inspiration. Verbal, word for word, plenary, full and complete inspiration, God breathed on it. That's what we believe in. Now when I say verbal, it's word for word. That's what's different. The King James Bible is different than any other translation. Because you get these modern translations, they don't translate word for word. In the New Testament, the original language was Greek. And so they would take a Greek word like kai, K-A-I. Most of the time that's translated and, A-N-D. See, you know, it's that's, that's in there a whole bunch of times. If you don't know any Greek words, you know one now. Logos, L-O-G-O-S, word. They'd say that and they'd put word under it. They'd say kai, they'd put and under it. They'd say these words, they'd put it under there. They'd say pneuma, they'd put spirit under it. And they'd go all the way through here and see these Greek words, and they'd put the English equivalent the best they could. And when they got finished, they'd look at the verse, and they'd say, now let's see what the verse says. But if you have a new Bible, like an NIV or an ESV or one of these kind of so-called versions, they read the verse. And when they read the verse, they said, okay, let's write down what we think the verse means. That's not right. These people, they went word for word, and they let the Bible speak for itself. And that's the way it's supposed to be. So there's a difference in the King James Bible and other Bibles. Now that term inspiration, it's only mentioned two times in the entire Bible. It's mentioned in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The other place is Job, if you want to turn over there. Go to Psalms and hang a left. It's the book before Psalms. If you don't know, most of you probably do. I I tell our church stuff like that all the time. We're going to go to chapter 32. And the reason it is is because I've got seasoned Christians that know their Bibles really well, like a lot of you do. And then I've got new Christians that don't know much about the Bible. And I always thought, you get a brand new Christian, they just get saved, and they get in church, and the preacher says, okay, turn to Haggai. And they're like, what? And I tell our people, don't feel bad about turning to a table of contents. There's nobody in this room when you were born knew where that book was. You had to learn it somewhere along the line. Don't ever be ashamed of that. But if you're going to be saved a while, you need to find out where they're at after a while. You know, if you've been saved 20 years, then it might be no different. But, you know, it's just people get funny about stuff like that. All right, Job 32. Some people don't like Job because they think it's job. <laughs> All right, Job 32. <laughs> That's bad. Job 32, verse 8. But there is a spirit in man. That's true. And the inspiration. Somebody tell me what inspiration means. God breathed. And the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Okay? That's pretty neat. Now look in chapter 33, same page on my Bible, verse 4. The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. What's the breath of the Almighty? It's inspiration. Because inspiration is God breathed. Then the breath of the Almighty, the Almighty is God. The Almighty And so the breath of the Almighty is inspiration. The the breath of the Almighty has given me life, is what the Bible says. I think that's really neat. See, my Bible right here is just like me. I'm I'm inspired, so to speak. You say, how are you inspired? I'm inspired because God breathed on me and He quickened my spirit and made me alive. That's inspiration. But not only that, my Bible is inspired. Because when God breathes on something, it gives them life. Even if it's a book. This book's got life. New York City, they had a, down on Times Square where everybody gathers. Some of y'all may have been there before, and I've been there one time. And down there at Times Square, I mean, people are coming and going like crazy. And there was a man that had a big top hat. And he got the top hat, and he had it down on the ground. And as people were coming by, he started going, it's a it's alive it's alive and he'd circled all around it around and i mean he was doing this for like five or ten minutes and after a while i mean people started stopping and they're all looking and they're trying to see. and it's alive it's alive it's alive It's alive! and finally somebody said what's alive he picked up the top hat and there was a king james bible underneath it he said the word of god <laughs> you know he had a good point right there They thought he was crazy but he told the truth yeah. it is alive it's a living book the bible says it's alive i'm glad that it's alive It might get up and walk around at night. Who knows? I don't know what happens with it. But you say, how do you know it's alive? Because this book can give you life. Through the preaching and teaching of God's Word, His Spirit works on people's hearts. You can be born again. I'm glad that it's that way. So my Bible's alive. God breathed on it. It's called inspiration. Now here's the problem with modern day people. We're starting out with inspiration. I mean, we're starting from the beginning. I believe that when... Moses wrote down those first five books. I don't believe Moses wrote what he wanted to write. I believe he wrote what God told him to write. I mean every word. I'm not talking about part of it. I mean all of it. Did you ever think about Moses? Nobody writing a book themselves would write what Moses wrote. He had to tell about him hitting that rock two times. He had to tell about every fault and failure he had. If you're going to write a book about yourself, you build yourself up and look good. He didn't do that. You know why? Because he didn't write the books. Oh, he wrote them. He pinned them down. But somebody was telling him what to pin down. And it was God that was telling him. All through there. There's no doubt in my mind. Now take your Bible and go to Acts 17. Look a few more places. Acts chapter 17. Here's these Bereans over here. They were good ones. I want you to notice we're going to key in on a word right here. That's important. Paul goes to Berea by night. He said, why by night? He's always running for his life. And here he is on his second missionary journey. And In Acts 17, verse 10, it says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. He always went there. He found where the people were, and he went and preached to them. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and watch this closely, and searched the what? Scriptures. All scriptures given by what? That's what it says, by inspiration of God. Search the Scriptures daily whether these things were so. Here's my question. Where'd they get those? You know what the average pastor will tell you? The average, what they call theologian today, would tell you? Only the original autographs are inspired by God. That's what they say. In other words, they agree that what Moses wrote down was inspired. They just don't believe anything you have today is inspired. They don't believe that at all. And you know why they don't believe that? Because if they don't believe that... See, it was just this way. Brother Martin gets up and preaches. He can say, the Scripture says, the Word of God says. And everybody can say, well, that's right. You may not like it, but the Bible says it. It don't matter whether you like it. It's right. (laughs) And if the Bible says something's wrong, it doesn't matter whether you agree or not. It's still wrong. There's no, I mean, it's not like it's an opinion. It's God's word is what it is. But these people want to get up. And what they want to do is they say, well, this should be translated. And this word here should be. And a better translation would read. And you know what happened just then? No longer is this book the word of God, but that man standing behind the pulpit, he's the authority then. And so what they'll say is, well, the average person in a church, they don't know Greek and Hebrew, so he went to Bible college for four years or six years or eight years or however long, and he went and learned Greek and Hebrew. And since the people don't know it, and he does know it, he can show you what Greek and Hebrew is, and he'll say the Greek and Hebrew is what you have to go to to get to the Word of God. And since you don't know it, he becomes the final authority. They like that. But the problem is they don't even think the Greek and Hebrew is inspired. And I don't either. Those originals were, but I believe God's preserved his word all the way through till we have it right now. I'm not the final authority, but I know who he is. It's the Lord, and he's got a book. Look in Acts 8 another time. Acts chapter 8. It's like a power trip or something. They get awful on that stuff. They think, man, look at me. I'm something. I'll tell you what it says. And really, a Christian can read it for yourself. You don't have to have somebody always... I mean, we're, we're commanded to go to church, don't get me wrong. And we're commanded to be under the leadership of a, of a pastor. The Bible's very clear on that. But still, that doesn't mean you can't read the Bible for yourself. Everybody, and you ought to read it. We ought to read it on a daily basis and spend time in the Word and study it. Look in Acts 8, Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. Always like this. The Lord sent him over here to this Ethiopian, and it says in verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the Scripture which he read was this the place of the what? The Scripture. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb done before his shearer, so opening he not his mouth. That's Isaiah 53. Now let me ask you a question. How's an Ethiopian, this eunuch from Ethiopia, 700 years after Isaiah was written, have the Isaiah sitting in his lap? I mean, if these are the originals, because they say only the originals are inspired, but my Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. If it's Scripture, it's given by inspiration. The Bible says he's got scripture. I mean, a man gets up here in Mayfield, Kentucky, and he gets behind a pulpit, and he says, turn to this scripture. And he says, now, this is is not really the correct translation. Why don't you just be quiet then? Then why'd you call it scripture? If it's scripture, it's given by inspiration of God. It's perfect. It's amazing how they say that. And then they start correcting it. I'll be honest with you. I don't believe he had what Isaiah wrote down physically. I don't even believe they exist anymore. I don't believe they existed 700 years after Isaiah. You couldn't keep up with that and pass it around the world. They're not around. They're gone. You say, what is it? You've got to have copies somewhere. But the Bible, God still calls them scripture. Because God can keep his book. He can keep his words is what he can do. That's what God... I think it's funny that us Baptists, one, one defining character of the Baptist is we believe in eternal security. Um, uh, security of the believer, a.k.a. once saved, always saved. They say, y'all believe in that once saved, always saved. Yeah, we do. Sure we do. Yeah, we do. Matter of fact, I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. How about that? You say, you're just arrogant. I'm not arrogant. I just believe in him. I believe what he did for me. He's the reason I can't, not me. It's because of him. And he doesn't make mistakes. He can get me to heaven. He's going to, too. I'm going. I mean, my ticket's punched. I got born again. You can't be unborn once you're born. That's not possible. But we believe that, but yet many Baptists don't believe God can keep His Word. You mean to tell me He can keep you saved, but He can't keep His other promises? That doesn't even make any sense. I've got bad news for you. If God, can't keep, if God can't keep His Word, He can't keep you saved either. If He can't keep one of them, He can't keep any of them. And He said He could keep it. This book's preserved. No doubt about it. The words of the Lord are pure words. The silver uh, tried in the furnace of earth purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Psalms 12, 6, and 7. No doubt about it. Now let me show you something that I like here. I'm getting close to being done. Turn to um, Deuteronomy chapter 4. You got three places I want to show you real quickly. Deuteronomy 4. And go ahead and grab Proverbs chapter 30. We've got three places we're going to look. Deuteronomy 4 in one hand. Proverbs 30 in your other hand. And then somehow grab Revelation 22. (laughs) Deuteronomy 4, Proverbs 30, Revelation 22. And I can't get out of the index in the back here. All right. Deuteronomy 4, Proverbs 30, Revelation 22. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 4 first. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 30, Revelation chapter 22. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2. Look at this. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall ye diminish aught from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Can we all agree he's saying not add to his word or take away from his word? When did he say that? He said it in Deuteronomy. Can we all agree this is the front of the Bible? As a matter of fact, this is the section called the book of Moses, the Pentateuch, the first five books. I mean, this is the front of the Bible. Don't add to and don't take away. He'll say, well, yeah, he said that there. Well, let's see how he does in the middle. Proverbs chapter 30. Let's see if God's changed any. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 5. And I think we can all agree this is the middle of the Bible. Psalms is the direct middle, and it's next to Psalms. Every word of God is pure. You say, which one is it that's pure? All of them. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. Add thou not unto His word lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. Then we better be careful about adding to his words. We better not do it. Now you say, well, that was Old Testament. Okay, let's look at Revelation 22. If you went any further than Revelation 22, you're going to be in the maps. I mean, you're at the back. We can all agree this is the end of the Bible. This is the end right here. And uh, he's got some things. I mean, the Lord's getting ready to... um, close the book, and he gives an invitation here and uh, tells people to come. Then he also, come to him, then he has another thing that he tells us in verse 18. He says, for I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. I don't know about you, but I think he told us in Deuteronomy, the front of the Bible. Proverbs, the middle of the Bible, Revelation 22, the end of the Bible, to keep our hands off of his book. Don't you add to or take away from this book. And if you start adding to or taking away, you're going to get in big trouble with God. God said, leave it alone. He doesn't need any help with his word. Matter of fact, when man starts tampering with it, they just mess everything up. That's all we do with it. I'm thankful that. People say, well, if we get, we, uh, they get in these Sunday school classes uptown at the other churches and they all get their own Bible and bring it and everybody... Yeah, but God's not the author of confusion. Because right. they all say something differently. Man, the King James Bible is the Word of God. Amen. It's the Word of God. Now, I want to show you a few verses here. I want to run a few references. All in the Gospel of John. Turn to John 3. And you'll know what I believe when you get done with this. John chapter 3. John Chapter Three. John Chapter Three. So, what time it is? John Chapter Three, verse thirty four. For he whom God has sent. Speaketh the words, W-O-R-D-S, plural, of God. Not the Word of God, the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. So often we talk about the Word of God, but here he says the words of God. The words of God. All right, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, the Lord speaking. And he says in John 5 verse 46, he says, For had ye believed Moses you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall ye believe my words? Plural. John chapter 8. John chapter 8. John chapter number 8, verse 43. Why not understand my speech, even because ye cannot hear my word? Ye have your father the devil... That's pretty rough preaching right there, isn't it? But it's perfect preaching because the Lord's doing it. <laughs> you say, what does that mean? It means they're the father of the devil is what it means. <laughs> you have your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's W-O-R-D-S words. Ye therefore hear them not because ye are not of God. What I'm telling you is I believe it's more than the word of God. I believe the words of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, Matthew 4, 4, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I'm not for changing one word. Even if it's an italic, I'm against changing it. And I can show you why, and I will before the time's up, not tonight, but before the, our sessions are over, I'm going to show you those about those italicized words. But the thing is, I believe every single word. People say, well, he's talking about the originals. Where'd you read that at? You don't read that anywhere. you got to go to a Bible college to know that. You know what I mean? Really? He didn't say that. You know what I believe? Do we have what God said? Emphatically, yes. We've got it. I've got a copy of it. I can hold it in my hand. I can show it to you right here. It's the words of God. I've got them. And I'm glad that I've got them. And they're in a King James authorized version of 1611. And I've got it in my hands. And thank God I do. All right. That's just a little bit on inspiration. Inspiration.